I want to welcome Agile XRM to the podcast. I've known the people at Agile XRM for the past 12 years. I've seen how their business process management tool can add massive value to complex organizational processes in sectors such as finance and government. If you have complex processes or a need for dialogues on the Power Platform or Dynamics 365, take a look at how this BPM tool can add value. You can find them at agilexrm.com or check out the show notes for more details. Welcome to the Power 365 show, where I interview staff at Microsoft across the Power Platform and Dynamics 365 technology stack. I hope you'll find this podcast educational and inspire you to do more with this great technology. Now, let's get on with the show. In this episode, we're going to be talking about Microsoft Accessibility Toolkit, as well as accessibility in general when designing and creating software. Today's guest is from France. She works at Microsoft as an accessibility PM. She's a shoemaker and an author. You can find links to her bio and all her social media, etc., in the show notes for this episode. Welcome to the show, Iona. Hi, folks, and hi, Mark. So happy to be here. Thank you for coming on the show. I this this has come about because I saw a post you did on LinkedIn maybe two or three months ago now around the Microsoft Accessibility Toolkit, and I was like, you know what? It's important that our community knows about because we work with software all the time and building solutions on the Microsoft Power Platform. What do we need to know about accessibility? What should we be thinking about so that we can do better um, when we create software? But before we get underway with that, tell us a bit about food, family, and fun. What do you do when you're not working? <laughs> uh, that's that's a trick question I didn't expect. I was ready to launch into this whole case study for accessibility, and you threw me off. Uh, food, family, and fun. So um, you mentioned I'm based in France. It's a it's a new thing. My partner and I move here in March. I'm not originally from France. So fun right now is remodeling a French house or so old farmhouse um, and trying to, to bring it up to up to scratch as well as the one um, hectare of land we have that we're going to use for growing vegetables and fruit. So that's wow. fun. Um, I guess that's food as well. Um, and that includes family. <laughs> So there you go. Wow. This is so, so interesting. I also have a, about a hectare of land and no I am growing vegetables and and a food forest. In fact, I'm getting into what's called syntropic forestry, which is where you plant fruit trees with normal native trees Yeah, uh, very, at various strata levels. So, you know, everybody gets the sun, if you like. Um, depending on how high they grow as trees, but it means that you can get a high density of fruit, vegetable, plants in a smaller area because they all work in in, uh, like a symphony together. Oh, Mark, we have to speak afterwards. (laughs) I'm really interested in learning more, so you'll have to share some links. Yes, yes, for real. Tell me, like you said, you just moved to France. Where, where, Where did you originate from? Yeah, so um, I'm born and raised in Romania, and I started in Microsoft Romania almost 13 years ago. I was fresh out of college, um, and I was actually doing recruitment, um, so didn't know much, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but was very much a sponge for everything that I was learning. And then um, six years ago, um, I had this, call it life crisis, call it pivot, call it whatever you want to call it. 
And I shared with my manager at the time that I wanted to have international experience. Um, a lot of my work was being done in the UK. So I asked them, hey, <laughs> would you folks be willing to move me to the UK? Um, and surprisingly to me, they said yes. So I moved to, to Microsoft in the UK. And then this year we had another pivot uh, because of wanting to to have a different lifestyle and move to France. So I've been inc- incredibly privileged and fortunate to have the support wow. from, from folks around me in my management to kind of move in my career. So yeah, third country with Microsoft. Um, wow. I'm hoping it, it stays here for a while. <laughs> That's a lot, enough movement. That's the thing when planting plants and trees, right? You need to be around long yeah. enough to to harvest um and you know a, a lot of particularly nut trees are seven years before they start producing so it can be a while to get things established tell me about shoemaking and authoring mm-hmm. well shoemaking uh, came to be from a passion of buying shoes to be perfectly honest um i've always had nice. a thing for shoes this is a real story but my mom was telling me that my first word hasn't been mom or dad i was pointing at a pair of red shoes and i said boots or the version in romanian for boots so somewhere in my dna there was a passion for it and fast forward i did a design course but i was always curious of Designing is one, but making is a whole different thing. So I've always been interested in how to make them. And that's how I met my husband, actually. He's a full-time shoemaker. And uh, during COVID, he said, well, it's time for you to start. So he taught me how to make shoes. And I've I've been making them as a result. And it's been an incredibly fun journey. One that had a few accidents as well <laughs> with nails and hammers, but fun nevertheless. Um, and books, I've I've always had this on my bucket list. I always knew that I wanted to publish a book. And growing up um, as a kid we in Romania in the 90s, we didn't have much entertainment. So books were kind of my refuge to the fantasy world. And I loved reading and as a result, I always knew that I wanted something that had my name on it. Um, I don't know if it's vanity or ego or whatever it is, but it was definitely there. Um, so that's how I decided to publish my first book. It was always uh, it was always something on the list, but I'm working on something else right now, which I can't share much about, but it hopefully it will come next year. Nice, nice. It, it's so much work writing a book. You know, it's not, you know, you you say, was it vanity or what? It's whatever it takes. It's a lot of effort to write a book, to get published. Um, So I understand why you'd want to do it. Uh, I've been on that journey with my wife. She's published a book. And uh, we were in uh, Dubrovnik at the time when she started writing. And, yeah, we we were traveling Europe. And, yeah, she was able to get her book published and – it was just she wanted to, you know, her life story. She wanted to get her first book out of the way because she knows she's got other books in her and she just needed to get the one done. So that's fantastic. Very cool experience. Very cool experience. What's her book's title? I'm writing it down. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Hang on a second. Um putting you on the spot, Mark. <laughs> you you are. It was twenty seventeen when when that happened. Um this is so bad. I cannot remember. I'll have to come back to you on it. Please do. Lost Heart Found, that's what it was called, Lost Heart Found, by uh, Meg Smith, yeah. Perfect. Yeah, it's available on Amazon and stuff. Anyhow, 
That aside, tell me about Microsoft accessibility. What's your role in Microsoft? What's mm-hmm. it, what's involved in it? And why is this such an important topic? Yeah, so I'll start with the role and I'll share why it's an important topic for me and why it's an important topic in general. I'm part of the accessibility innovation team. Um, so our team looks at internal innovation as well as external innovation and wanting to really um, help organizations uh, focus on accessibility as a catalyst. And specifically, we have a grant program, which is called AI for Accessibility, in which provide grants for profit, for profits and nonprofits, really looking to accelerate their accessibility innovation journey. Um, and I work with those companies on a daily basis as they're part of our program, which is 12 months. Um, so that's what I do. Now, why is accessibility important? I mentioned that I'm going to share why it's important for me and why for Microsoft. Uh, personally, it's important because I am a person with a disability. I'm dyslexic. Um, I didn't know I was dyslexic until I was 32. Wow. Yeah, I had no idea. I didn't even know what dyslexia was. Um Nobody talked about it when I was in school or in, you know, part of like early life formation. And my husband actually is dyslexic and he was observing me with numbers and letters. And he said, did you ever take a dyslexia screen? Um, And as a result, I did. And lo and behold, I'm dyslexic. And I started in this journey of kind of exploring, like, let me learn more about disability in general, not just dyslexia. And I realized um, that most of us, you know, either have a disability or will have a disability during our lifetime. And accessibility just feels like, you know, future-proofing at the bare list, but really providing everybody with a with a more equal platform of being what they can be and achieving. Because oftentimes um, people with disabilities have barriers, not because of their disability, but because of the barriers that exist in society or in technology. Yeah, Disability doesn't hold us back. It's the tools that we use that too. Um, and I think that kind of, the latter part is Microsoft takes as well. We want to ensure if if we're going back to our mission statement, as cheesy as that sounds, we want to empower everybody on the planet to achieve more. Um, and obviously that includes people with disabilities and rightfully so. Um, it's a huge client base. It's estimated that around 1 billion people around the world have a wow. disability. 1 billion with a B. Um, so if you're a business, you can't ignore a billion people. Um, or if you have that luxury, Hey, uh, but you shouldn't anyway, because um, I think it's important to kind of create for everyone. And that's that's kind of the space I operate in. And the reason we kind of leading to the innovation toolkit, we the reason we publish the innovation toolkit is is because one, the accessibility space is incredibly thrilling. Um, I'm biased, but that's my take. And two, I think every company should consider designing for people with disabilities. It's good business. It's, you know, it's good social impact. Overall, there's a huge client base that they can be tapping into, especially as we're thinking of like, you know, how are you scaling? How are you considering other markets? How are you considering other clients? So that's a little bit about sort of where I sit in the company and what also drove me here. It's so it's so interesting that number one, the figure is so large and and then in part of that, a lot of people go through life not realizing that the challenges that they are facing uh, are more than others <clears throat> because they don't they 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 haven't been diagnosed. They don't know how to label yeah. it. And I, 
you know, I, 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 I feel it was very liberating when I found that out about myself that I had dyslexia and that it was okay. I remember a colleague of mine saying that when he read what I wrote, it made his eyes bleed. <laughs> that, that was the term he had. And, and it was because, you know, I will go back and I'll look at a sentence and I'll go, what was I thinking of? Like, it doesn't even make sense at all. But it's, however it's coming out of my brain, it's not entering or going up my, my fingers to the keyboard in that same format. So, so but it it, did, it definitely uh, through younger life it was definitely a disadvantage right because people they would label that as just being dumb right you're dumb you you don't they don't understand or yeah you, you you know I didn't read till I was 13 and that was part of that that whole process what I'm interested in how what tools are there available now what is Microsoft looking at from mm-hmm. either neurodiversity dyslexia um, you know, uh, people that have impairments, whether it be hearing, whether it be visual, yeah. Uh, even making software compliant. When I was started my career twenty years ago in the business application space with Microsoft, I remember usability standards, and they're not applying to the software, and it was a massive request for a long time. And and Microsoft back then weren't focused in that area, and of course, so much of that has changed now. But what tools? Are there available yeah. from a dyslexic point of view, and for the these other um, mm-hmm. uh, people that have difficulties in these other areas, what's included in the toolkit? What helps? How how do mindsets get changed? And um, and and what's yeah, what's involved in that? Yeah, absolutely. And let me just preface with um, something for everybody kind of tuning in. Disability is not a dirty word. Get really comfortable at saying disability uh, because oftentimes people fear it and fear about talking about disability or talking with people with disabilities because of various reasons. Get comfortable with it. Um, disability is a good thing. We all we all either have it or will have it during our lifetime. It's part yeah. of being a human. Um, so let me preface with that. In terms of Microsoft resources for dyslexia, um, I'm going to talk a little bit about Microsoft tools, and then I'm going to go into the toolkit and sort of the how you can use that as well. So generally, um, there is a lot available in terms of different resources for folks who are neurodiverse or dyslexic in particular. Um, I'm going to share some of my favorite tools. In Word, there's something called Immersive Reader. Um, It really helps me because I can fine-tune the font and spacing and how things are displayed on the page. And the reason it's brilliant if you're doing a shared document, for example, and I'm working here and Mark is working there, and then I have another colleague who's working over there. When I'm in immersive reader mode and I'm doing all my customization in terms of how I'm reading that document, it doesn't affect your view, Mark, or you know somebody else's view. So everybody can participate in a way that is designed for them. Um, there's also a lot of other useful tools like um, speech-to-text, so um, similar to you, Mark, my, my writing is a little bit like Schrodinger's cat. The t- like the typos are there. I do not see them. Everybody else does. Um, yeah. So speech to text is really useful. You have also text to speech in terms of the, the opposite. I, I admit I don't use text to speech as much because my actual auditing processing is not great. Um, but mm-hmm. I find the combination of text-to-speech and reading at the same time actually helps because it's the dual yes. modality of input. So there's a ton. Um, 
if folks are interested, look up Microsoft Accessibility and the main website. Um, actually, you can find tools and resources that Microsoft has per disability types. So you can go to hearing, you can go to vision, you can go to neurodiversity and really fine tune the tools and resources. Please do it. It's empowering. Honestly, finding the right tools just kind of is the best feeling in the world. Now, as we're going to the toolkit, the toolkit itself has a little bit of a different structure, if you will, to your normal toolkit. And that's because it's hard to package innovation, uh, but we try to anyway. Um, we're making a case for accessibility. So we're kind of um, sharing a little bit about the opportunity under the accessibility space and why we invite everybody to innovate. And we break this really simple framework of like, how do you innovate thinking of people with disability and having them in mind? And then we really bring it to life with examples of uh, organizations we have partnered with, uh, with who either created really amazing like proof of concepts or companies around accessibility. Um, and we also provide resources in terms of either research or data or data sets that have been open source that, that help. Um, so going back to your, your previous statement about a question around, hey, what is in toolkit regarding dyslexia? There's a lot of information in the toolkit of organizations who've made the business around neurodiversity. And one of them is called Mentra. So Mentra started as a way of addressing the gap that exists in the employment market for people with disabilities who are neurodiverse. Because most of the recruitment process really are, are not customized enough to meet everybody's needs. And the neurodiverse population tends to be left behind. And Mentra said, hey, you know, there's a lot of companies out there who use AI in their recruitment systems. But the problem with that is a lot of the existing tools predict success based on past success. And if people with disabilities have been overlooked, you're kind of continuing to propagate the same issue. So they said, how can we spin this? So their algorithm pairs um, what they call strengths of each of the candidates with work environments and work environment factors, knowing that by pairing the two and through data, they're more likely to land candidates that are successful and thriving in their roles as opposed to um, you know, forcing a pairing that doesn't work. Um, so Mentor has done a lot in this space. So we, we explain in the toolkit what they do. We explain how their kind of technology works. Um, and it, I personally find it really cool because they took something that traditionally didn't work on the market and flipped it on, a he on its head and used AI in a way that is brilliant. It's, it's interesting in what you say about <clears throat> recruitment processes, even even managerial processes, like I would have traditionally said, you know, in a team environment, um, if we're on Microsoft Teams, it's an internal call, I would want everybody to have their camera on. And I just saw the other day this very interesting perspective of of a manager who understood his staff so well from a neurodiversity point of view that he knew that some individuals didn't feel comfortable with their camera on. Yeah. There can be a range of reasons for this. You know, light, movement, et cetera, can have different impacts. And this person was able to bring them best, their best selves and their best contribution to the software project, actually, by not showing up, for example, stand-ups, scrum stand-ups, that type of thing, with not 
with their cameras off. And the scrum master was like, oh, but the problem is we can't see their body language and stuff. And the manager was like, yeah, but you got to understand they don't even interpret body language like you and I interpret it. And so you're, you're making a judgment on them because you might feel they don't look engaged, but they're the type of person that doesn't need to have icon that they do not need to express their body language, et cetera. So you're making a judgment on them because you can see them right? Without understanding that. And it's just like, when you really start to unpack this, it's, there's so many people that want to bring their best selves, but their best selves might not be in the traditional sense. But, and if you don't allow that, you don't get innovation, right? At at the end of the day. Um, so, so it does go quite a bit more broader. I'll give you an example. And this is a real life example. When the pandemic hit and everybody was work from home, um, similar to you, the previous team I was in, the statement was camera on all the time. Uh, and it was with a good intent, right? It was more about like, let's foster collaboration and make sure that everybody feels included. So it came from a good place. Um, but it also came from a place of, we don't know how being on camera 24 seven, it shapes us. Right. And then yes. fast forward at the end of the pandemic, you you know, a, a lot of context in terms of like camera fatigue, mental health considerations, and people might simply don't want to be on camera um, for a variety of reasons. So um, as we're looking, and it's interesting because you have technology that is popping up that perhaps wasn't created with accessibility in mind, but definitely has an accessibility use case. And I'll give you an example of that is avatars, right? And um, avatars in Teams. Yes, it's still early days um, by all means. But if you think of the technology as like, I'm, I might be a person with disability, right? And I don't want to, or I might not have a disability, but I simply do not want to be on camera because I feel tired. I didn't sleep last night. You know, my child is crying next to me, life happens. But I actually am able to use an avatar that represents me. And then I don't feel that, you know, I'm, I'm missing out in terms of like expressing myself in a different way. Um, But also, I feel that people should still be able to just not have their camera on when they don't want to have their camera on. Um, And our team is very, I, I, I love our team, because there's so much diversity, you know, we have folks who are blind or low vision who don't want to have their camera on because you know, it doesn't make any sense for them. And then we have folks that need sign language interpretation. So we need to make sure that we can spotlight the sign language interpreter um, at all times. And that's a focus area on the screen. So it, it just opened up to, f- and to flexibility and adaptability. And awful times accessibility is just about the flexibility of experiences that you can provide your users. So when you're creating software and when you're creating product, um, it's hard. I'm not going to say it's easy, but customization um, is honestly key to including as as many people as possible because our needs are different. And usually something that works for everybody actually doesn't work for anybody. Yeah, yeah. And and it's interesting the talent pool that does open up. Um, we have facilities in our company um, that are designed specifically. With new, and I'm talking about uh, office facilities with neurodiverse yeah. in mind because it was something I had no understanding. Not everybody, for example, um, is brilliant at at checking off tasks. Mm-hmm. They're incredibly talented in another area, but because they don't follow or or, or deadlines or things like that or it can be the fluorescent lights, you know, 
has a massive impact on them. It can be sounds or yeah. um, an open office plan is not conducive to, to their best work. And it can be perfumes, you know, strong, you know, odors that will be a trigger. There's so many, but, you know, our company really, if you like, explored this area and the talent that has come into our organization has been mind-blowing to me because hmm. these people, PhDs, you know, people highly, highly qualified had never been employed because they would never get past an interview because they weren't like us. They didn't fit the model of an employee of the organization. They weren't accepted for who they were, you know, their, their full selves. And so I think there's a lot of opportunity, a lot of talent out there when organizations really do adopt and and go on the journey of accessibility for everybody. I absolutely love what your company did. I really hope that more companies follow suit. I think that's so important. And again, it goes back to like, give people the right environment for them to thrive in and they will thrive. Um, And it's so smart. You know, it's smart to hire. You're tapping into a talent pool that absolutely has the right capabilities. You just need to give them the right tools to perform. Um, And equally, by having that diverse mindset and perspective in your company, you are going to build better products. You are going to better to present your client base. You're going to identify challenges that others are simply not aware of. Um, and I think this is where the, the diversity of experiences is so important. And I want every team on the planet to hire people with disabilities. You're you're going to be better as a result of it. I'm, um, I will lead with that and I will die on that mountain. <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting. Um, even what that triggered to me because I was going to ask you about, you know, what can developers do yeah. now? You know, how can they be thinking? But really, one would be add neurodiversity to your teams, right? Because they're going to give you a lens on experiences that are r- absolutely real, tangible, live. So much, I I think that. Folks building software, if they haven't had that experience, they don't know how to design for it. They don't know how to create for it. It's not on their radar. So it becomes an afterthought, you know, rather than an on-purpose design feature and what, what, what happens. Any recommendations for, for developers and, and people running development teams? Yeah, so one you mentioned it is, uh, you know, hire people with disabilities in your team. Um, and I'll say all disabilities because you're going to get, uh, again, uh, uh, a segment of perspectives and um, life opportunities that you didn't expect. So hire people with disabilities on your team is one. Two, as you're actually developing products and tools, um, and this is where I get a little bit more technical, Um Make sure that, well, let me start with the with the beginning. As you're identifying your opportunities and as you're identifying what you're trying to build or improve, have a thought about how what segments of the population are we intentionally excluding and accidentally excluding. So think of disability. Think of other things as well. Think of, you know, gender, race, um, income. Think of internet connection, which is um, which is a huge one. Is like, does your product only work um, online? Does it have offline capability for parts of the world where inter- a stable internet connection is not a thing? So almost have a, I, I always say, have a matrix and 
kind of list the items of diversity, if you will, or intersectional factors and think, who are you intentionally excluding and who are you accidentally excluding? Um, And walk through that process with your team. And then establish your potential customers. And as you're thinking with people with disabilities, co-create with them. Um, involve them in the actual process of building products. And co-creation takes many forms. You know, you can have them on your teams and hiring them, like we discussed. Um, You can work with organizations that um, provide input from people with disabilities and research, and please pay pay people with disabilities for their work. That's something I preface with. Um, And then validate your solutions with them as well, because it's important to understand if the experience that you have designed works in the way you intended it to. to. And then there's multiple tools for developers as you're building tools. It's like, check your code. Is it accessible? Um, Is the output accessible in terms of very tactically as you're building things, test them. Um, Do they work with a screen reader? That's an important one, right? Um, As you're doing, if you're having buttons, are they labeled correctly? Um, there are so many things in terms of testing for for accessibility, but it's massive to be able to ensure that whatever your end tool is, it's actually accessible. But don't wait until accessibility testing to actually make sure that what you're building is is fitted for for people with disabilities. There's a thing we call shift left in the sense of shift the the development yes. the accessibility part left. Please shift left all the way to innovation and include people with disabilities in your innovation process because you are going to have such a better product. And here's the thing, solving accessibility bugs is expensive. Developing with accessibility in mind, not so much. Um, So you're also saving a good penny at the end of the day by making sure that you're starting with accessibility in mind. Ona, thank you so much for coming on the show. Before I let you go, once again, where can people find resources from Microsoft on this? Yeah, so if you're interested generally in Microsoft resources, um, go to Microsoft Accessibility. And this is our main website with everything accessibility. Um, And if you're interested in the accessibility toolkit, it's um, our innovation toolkit is also found on the main website or um, aka.ms innovation toolkit. Um, And that's where you're able to find things. And if you have questions, if you have thoughts, if you have feedback, please reach out to me um, because I would be very, very happy to, to gather the input and what folks want to see in the V2 of the toolkit. Hey, thanks for listening. I'm your host, business application MVP, Mark Smith, otherwise known as the NZ365 guy. If there's a guest you'd like to see on the show from Microsoft, please message me on LinkedIn. If you want to be a supporter of the show, please check out buymeacoffee.com forward slash NZ365 guy. How will you create on the Power Platform today. Ciao.